You are listening to another episode of Conversations with a Priest and a Rabbi, recorded live at St. Peter's by the Sea Episcopal Church in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversations with a Rabbi and a Priest. I'm Craig Swan. I'm the priest at St. Peter's by the Sea in Narragansett, Rhode Island, and I'm joined by... I'm Rabbi Ethan Adler, uh, Rabbi at Congregation Beth David in Narragansett, and also Congregation in Westerly. And I'm going to let Ethan this week start our topic off, and we have three words to, to discuss. Yeah, so plenty of words that we can actually use to um, describe what are the important tenets and upon which our religion rests. And we decided that we'll, we'll choose three. One of them is love. The other one is acceptance. And the third one is forgiveness. Now, of course, there could be other words chosen, but these, these three words seem to be focal points upon which many of our rituals and thoughts and, and spirituality seem to revolve around. So I thought we would start with love. And we'll give you some Jewish perspectives on love and, and where it stands. So there are many occasions in the Bible that tell us that we need to love our God. There is uh, a famous phrase in Deuteronomy that says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, which is pretty, pretty well encompassing. Now, today when we think about the heart, to love God with all our heart, we would think about it in terms of an emotion, you know, how we feel about God. And much as we love our children, much as we love those around us, much as we love the Red Sox most of the time, not lately, but most of the time. In, in, ancient, in ancient cultures, as we understand, the heart was not necessarily the seat of emotion, rather the seat of thinking. So the idea of, of, of loving God with all our heart the, the original intention, as we understand it, is, is to, to love God through our thinking, to think about it and realize and understand and recognize all that, that God can mean to us and how that can, can better our lives and what our obligations are to God and so on. So to love God with all our heart is to think about it from a cognitive point of view. With all our soul has been interpreted to mean with our spirit, with all the spirit that we can bring bring into it, and with all our might, in the sense of not only loving God with strength, but protecting God's reputation with strength and vehemently doing, doing so. We are also enjoined to love our neighbor. You know, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's, that's open to a lot of interpretations. One of them is love your neighbor as you would love yourself. In other words, love your neighbor as you think that you would want to be treated by your neighbor. And the other one, love your neighbor as, you know, treat, treat your neighbor as if he's part of you or she is part of you. And so we are therefore commanded, if you will, to love all segments of society, the poor, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the sick, the lonely, and so on. So we are, we are, we are not only to love God, but also to love those those around us. And, and thirdly, which is as important, is to love ourselves and not to forget that as we're spreading this love about others and God, we also need to, we also need to love, 
love ourselves. And so it can be an issue for some people. How much do I love myself before I'm loving myself too much and not, not loving enough of the community? How much do I love of the community and forget that I forget to love, love myself? There was a great sage who lived about 2,000 years ago. His name was Hillel. And he had a famous quote that said, if, I am, if I'm not for myself, who's going to be for me? And that was, if I don't take care of my own needs, who's going to do that? By the same token, if I'm only for myself, what kind of person am I? So this, this love of myself and love of others needs, needs to find a healthy, healthy medium, if you will. We're also, also commanded to love the Torah, to love the words um, of the Bible, and take it taken upon ourselves. And in our tradition, we also are to love Israel, Israel the people, and Israel, Israel the land. So that sort of encompasses the Jewish perspective on love. Before I get going, I just have one question for you, Ethan. Sure. And that is, I'm curious, when we see love translated throughout the Old Testament, is it the same Hebrew word it keeps going back to, or is it several different Hebrew words. It's basically the same word of ahava. Ahava. For example, in the phrase where, where it says to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, it begins with v'yahavta. You should love the God. When he talks about loving our neighbor, it says v'yahavta l'reacha kamocha. Love, love your neighbor as you would. So it's, it's this ahav, ahava, which is, which is that love that transcends the kind of love that, you know, we have one for another, but on a much higher level. And the reason I ask that is in the Christian tradition, love is spread all over our writings. We hear Jesus tell the disciples to love one another as he has loved us. And of course, the famous passage that you hear at almost every wedding now and sometimes even funerals is Corinthians 13 in which Paul speaks about love and tells us if we have not loved Mm -hmm. we are nothing but now right now I feel like I'm gonna be the um, father in the my big fat Greek wedding who everything was rooted into the Greek and it was all Greek to him eventually and as I talk about actually when we talk about the word love in church we have to know that there are several different words that the English language has translated to mean love. There's actually four of them that I know of, and someone actually said there was a fifth one out there. But the four different words in Greek for love were eros, philos, agape, missing one of my words right now, but I'll get to it in a second. But the first one, eros, is that romantic love. Philos is love of friend. And then agape is the one that Jesus most often uses, which is translated in the King James Bible as charity, a love for someone else, a concern for another person. And so oftentimes we mistake talking about love in the church as this kind of gooey romantic love of eros and don't realize that it's not anything to do with what we really think it's about. I've often heard preachers begin a sermon on love, especially this time of year when our gospel and our 
reading from the letter of first letter of John is all about abiding in God's love to ask the question what's love and then say well Tina Turner says it was a secondhand emotion whatever that means but what it's really about in Christianity as we look at it when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor or Paul talks about having love in our heart the depth of that love is about truly being about charity and concern for another person and there's that mutuality in that charity and so much of our faith brings us from accepting the love of God which is the divine love in that we look at God as the source of all love to putting that into action in terms of charity for others Jesus tells us in the Gospels that when we care for the poor we tend to the sick mm -hmm. we tend to others we actually tend to Christ and so just like in Jewish tradition love becomes more of an action than an emotion mm -hmm. and very definitely that self-concern I also like the fact that you brought up the conversation about loving yourself now I don't have a Greek word at hand for that but I think about the fact that what you're describing is exactly what they talk about on an airplane during the safety talk if the pressure if the cabin depressurizes you are to put the mask on yourself first then on your child because exactly. in order to care in order to love we have to be able to take care of ourselves and taking care of ourselves is by loving God and spending time allowing God to love us yeah Love, love, love seems to be very encompassing. Those who are really, really observant, traditional Jewish people will, will listen to the words of the Talmud, which all the various interpretations and laws and so on and so forth. And, and one way in which the Talmud explains it is that by studying the words of the Bible, we are showing love for God. So even, even when we are experiencing the eros kind of love, when we're engaged in sexual relations, we are also commanded to think about the Bible and think about verses in the Torah. Now, most people would say that's the last thing I'm thinking about, <laughs> but it's this notion that this, this love of God should pervade everything that we do 24 hours, 24 seven, you know, and it's, and it's really, now, which is not to say most people do that, but at least that's the guideline. That's 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 the guideline. So yeah, I, agape is also a very important word. It, I've I've heard it translated as unconditional, just total acceptance of love. Like that, we love our children, no, no matter what they do, to us and to others, we just continue to just love them to pieces. That's it's a kind of agape, which is which is also very important. So I think, I think we've covered love, shall we? Okay. Well, so I th the next word that I think we agreed on was, was acceptance. To accept ourselves as we are, to accept others as, as they are. As somebody once said, if you're looking for a friend without faults, you'll never have a friend. So accepting, we are, we are all created in the image of God. And so we have an obligation to carry on with what God means to all of us. It also means that whatever characteristics we ascribe to God, 
we need to adapt and adopt to ourselves. So if God is kind, we need to be kind. If God is gracious, we need to be gracious. If God is forgiving, we need to be forgiving. We need, we, we need to represent the image, the image of, of God. So when people look at us, they'll see God in a sense. And so we need to, to accept that notion. And the other thing is to accept people for who they are, not what they look like. There is, there's a great phrase in the Talmud that says, don't look at the container, but look at, at the contents within. Look at the contents within. Sometimes we'll, we'll see an older person, you know, 92 years old, just sitting, doing nothing, drooling, not even paying attention to us. Where, where are they? And if, if we just look at that person, we say, oh my, just an old person. Why, why are they still alive? What's going on here? But yet when we look at the contents within and we realize, my goodness gracious, this person has so much experience in life and probably had children and grandchildren and worked. I sort of recall one time I was giving a workshop on spirituality in a particular assisted living. And as a result, they decided to pick someone and really do a deep dive into their life. There was this 92-year-old woman. I mean, she just looked like a 92-year-old woman. But they did research on her, and they found out that in 1950-something, she was Miss Fall River and had picked a beautiful person and that she loved ballet and she worked with kids. And all of a sudden, when they walked into the room, it was no longer 23A. Now it was Mrs. Whatever with all that history. And they, they made a, a memory box for her and they passed it around and they did it to a few people. So this notion of not looking at the container but looking at the person at the person within to, to appreciate that there are all kinds of people. You know, some, some people are very versed in, in religion but don't quite do anything. They don't go to temple or church. Some people go to temple or church but aren't versed in it. Some people are totally versed and attend services, and some people don't know nothing, don't care about it, and never show up. We need to accept all of them as one, and, and that is reflected. One of the holidays that we have is a holiday of tabernacles. We kind of sit in a hut somewhere, and, and we have different kinds of fruits some that we kind of bring together. Some have a smell but no taste. Some have a taste, no smell. Both a taste and a smell, and neither one. And we put them together in a group as an indication that we all belong, all belong together, no matter what. If you've ever been to a Passover Seder, you know, it talks about four different sons, children. One who knows everything, one who doesn't care about anything, one is a very simple son, one who can't even ask a question. We teach all of them. We, the, the Passover booklet has an answer to all of them. So this is, so this is the notion that that we accept i'll be done in a couple of seconds we also we also need learn to accept that sometimes suffering is there that we suffer i can almost see the prophet standing on a cliff overlooking a vast expanse and yelling out into the world why do the righteous suffer we we don't know but we accept the notion that sometimes suffering is there because because of a past sin or as a guideline to how we should live, or to maybe it's a test, a test of one's spirit, test of one's faith in God, test of one's love for God, or ultimately just a resignation that, you know, this is God's will and this is what is going on. So this notion of acceptance on many levels, 
I think, kind of rounds out that second word for us. As I think about the word acceptance, it's a word that we teach so often in the church and talk about. That's probably the hardest word for us to live into, uh, especially since uh, we live in a country that kind of separates itself out by groupings based on similarity, whether it be economic similarity, whether it be the similarity of the color of our skin, whether it be what we do, but we tend to separate out based on people who are more like us. And even our congregations tend to reflect that within our communities. Martin Luther King once said that 10 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated time each week in the American life because at that point, African-Americans went to their church and Caucasians went to their churches. And one of, I think, the struggles that the church has had over um, the 2,000 years it's been around is learning that the message we preach is really about acceptance of everyone, especially along with those who seem so totally foreign and different than you. And that comes right down to the examples from the gospel itself. And I think of the one of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman and how the disciples were totally aghast that A, he would talk to her let alone that he would accept water from her. Even she was a bit surprised by that. But Jesus, throughout his ministry, went into these foreign places and kind of overturned the social mores of the day mm -hmm. by talking to, healing, forgiving, casting out demons, not just in the people who his disciples thought he was called to be, which were strictly the children of Israel, but he began to say, this is a message for all nations and all people. And this week in our readings, we hear the story of Peter to, speaking to Cornelius, and he has been going out and beginning to spread the message into the Gentile world. And the people back home are mad at him, not because he was spreading the message of Jesus to the world, but because he dared to go into the home of a Gentile mm. and have dinner and to perhaps broaden his own understanding of what life is and what's appropriate. If we are truly people of God, and I, this is one thing I always go back to, and a former parishioner pointed out to me, she says, if you read Genesis carefully, especially in the English version, God says, let us make man in our image. There's a plurality to what that image looks like. Mm -hmm. And I'm so blessed by my friend Josh, who several years ago got a tattoo of a cross on his wrist. When I asked him, Josh, why did you do that? He said, because every time I look down, I see it, and I remind myself that I'm marked as Christ's own forever, which is a symbol of baptism. But he says, it's also the hand that I reach out to shake the hand of another person. And that reminds me that that person's hand who I'm shaking is not that different from me because just like me, they're a beloved child of God. Beautiful. And I think about how if we all could, you know, as you talk about thinking about God all the time, and loving God is about having God and Torah and the laws constantly in your thoughts. 
if the one thought that we can constantly have whenever we walk out our door is everyone I look at and see who approaches me or I approach is a beloved child of God, created in God's image. How different relationships would be and how they, different they would begin. That's right, that's right, which, which sort of leads us to, I think, the third word that we were tossing about, which is probably the most difficult of words, which is to forgive. The idea of forgiveness, our most holy day on the calendar is a day called Yom Kippur, day of, day of atonement, highlighted by fasting for about 25 hours, spending an inordinate amount of hours in temple and praying and thinking and praying and all of that. And one of, one of the segments of the prayer is when we recall the ancient rite when Aaron, who was the high priest, Moses' brother, on, on that day would go into the Holy of Holies. This was a special room in a temple that he only entered that day. I mean, it was very, very holy. He would go in there and uh, he would pray to God and for forgiveness. And everybody around there would wait for him to come out and he would announce that he heard God's word, which was salachti, which is I have forgiven. And so this notion of, of, of forgiveness is very, very important. And as we said before, as God does, we should do. So we are then therefore enjoined to forgive other people. We spoke about forgiveness before I know. From the Jewish perspective though, there are certain things that cannot be forgiven cannot be forgiven, genocide to any people mm-hmm. cannot, be, cannot be forgiven. We also understand that we cannot forgive in behalf of others. And I may have mentioned this before, there was a, there was a book written by Simon Wiesenthal, who was, who was a, a person who did a lot of work to try to find Nazis and bring them to justice. And he wrote a book called Sunflower, and in this book, he mentions that, that, that in this book, there is a psychologist or someone who works in, in one of the concentration camps who was told to go see a young German soldier who was about 22 years old. He said, okay, and he goes into the room and he said to this, this Jewish doctor, he says, look, I'm, I'm dying. I'm gonna be gone in about two or three days and I'm gonna meet God and I've done horrible things, and I, I, I want to enter the portals of heaven with a clean slate, with a pure soul, so I'd like you to forgive me. And he said to him, I can't forgive you. You have to seek forgiveness from the people that you hurt. He says, yeah, but they're all dead. He says, well, I don't know what to tell you. And he walked away, he didn't forgive him. And he thought about it, and he wrote away to about 200 people, rabbis and priests and clergy, sociologists, psychologists, all kinds of people, and said, what, should I have or should not I have forgiven the person? And it was interesting. It was almost like 50-50. Half of them said, you know, he came to you. We are obligated to forgive. And the other half said, no, we, we, you know, we agree with you. So forgiveness can be, can be a, a very difficult thing, but again, as we've been talking, one of the elements is to be able to forgive ourselves for what we've done 
And again, to remember that if we love God and we accept what God says, then we need to also adopt this notion of forgiveness. In our, in our, in our readings, in our biblical readings this weekend, we're reading a famous segment. It's called The Reproof. And in this reproof, Moses is speaking in behalf of God and says, look, you've got a choice here. You have a a choice. God is not going to choose for you. But your choice is this. You can choose a life of blessings or you can choose a life of curses. So here's, here's the story. If you follow my ways, if you follow my laws dedicated to me, then you will be rewarded with many children and property and health and all the good stuff that you can expect from God. But if not, then you will have a life of curses and calamities. You'll be overtaken by enemies. You will not bear children. You will have sickness, all kinds of bad things. However, at the end of that litany of all the bad things that can happen, Moses says in behalf of God, however, if you repent, God will forgive you. So if God can do it, then certainly we should be able to do that, right? That's what one hopes. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We were talking about earlier love, and forgiveness is truly an act of love. Mm-hmm. And again, the primary premise of Christianity is that, you know, it sums up in John three sixteen that Christ so loved the world, or God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, so that we may not die, but have everlasting life. And the act on the cross was about opening a door for the forgiveness of God so that we could somehow be in right relationship again with him. And if God is a source of the energy of love itself, as our presiding bishop talks about, forgiveness has to be part of it. And yet, forgiveness is hard because it means letting go of a hurt. And I tell my congregation, or remind my congregation now all the time, that I am the offspring of a father whose mother was Swedish, who was always claiming to be a stubborn Swede. And what made her a stubborn Swede in her book, or according to my uncle, was she was a pro at holding grudges. And I And again, it's my grandmother was so good at holding grudges that for 10 years, she didn't speak to her own sister. They even sat side by side at their brother's funeral and they didn't speak to each other. And we would ask them, well, what is this grudge about? My grandmother would say, well, talk to Edna, she knows. (laughs) And of course, Edna would say, I have no idea why Ruth is mad at me, but talk to your grandmother, she knows. And we went through these periods with my grandmother. But the kind of the bottom line of the story is the fact that I've learned from the best on how to hold grudges. And I think that's one of my biggest spiritual obstacles Mm -hmm. is letting go of small hurts and things like that. And yet every week with the congregation, every day in morning prayer, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And what's the primary line? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Mm -hmm. And yet we hold on to it because somehow we think and feel like we're punishing somebody else. In reality, we're really just punishing ourselves. Mm. And I think part of that's because we don't understand what forgiveness really is. It's not about saying you go off scot-free 
that you don't have to atone or make up for what you have done. What it is is releasing the anger and the grip that person may have on you to prevent you from moving into a better relationship with God. The other wonderful thing about being able to forgive and how it becomes such a loving act is because forgiveness can be transforming. When a person is truly sorry and they seek your forgiveness and you allow that, part of forgiveness is that person really can never pay you back for the wrong they have done. They can't make it up. And this is what our story is all about. The past doesn't change. The past doesn't change. Uh, unless it's a financial exchange, <laughs> it really is impossible to make it up. You offer them, if they are truly contrite, the freedom from their past to move forward again, as you talked about, clean. If you truly love something, I don't care what it is in your life, even if it's your pet, that other person that you love, that pet, that institution, at some point you're going to find yourself being hurt by it. And without forgiveness, it means that you close yourself off to the world eventually because to be in the world means that you're going to get hurt. It's an imperfect world. As you said, everybody's imperfect. There's no perfect people. Mm -mm. And if we don't have the ability to forgive and to reset relationships, we're going to find ourselves individually very miserable and upset, but worst of all, very isolated from everyone and everything in the world. And I think that, for me, is what is so essential when we talk about God as that loving energy because of the fact that we are forgiven by God because we are imperfect and we love God imperfectly, mm -hmm. that God has forgiven us and constantly forgives us, we have the experience and the ability then to go in life and not carry grudges and to forgive and to live free of that anger and that hold of the hurt. I mean, in the word forgive, we have the word give, right? Which is related to the word gift, right? Ah. So we can say that life is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to God. So as we forgive, we give a gift, and the gift is to God that says, hmm, it's working, that's great. And it's also a gift to somebody else because when we, when we are pained and hurt by someone, that person, other person knows it. You know, they know they did something wrong. They know they said something they shouldn't have, you know. So they're carrying that too. When we say to them, you know what? I don't know what you did. I'm not saying I'll forget it. But you know what? I'm forgiving that. I'm letting it go. What a gift it is to the other person as well as to us. So I think there's an important message there in the word forgive. Give them the gift of freedom from their past. Yep. Exactly. And allow them the chance to transform and live freely. So in this podcast, we've talked about love, and I think all the other words that we've talked about kind of pour forth from that primary word. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about how did I want to, how do I want or perceive ending this podcast? And what came to mind is a story from my first spiritual director. 
and he was a wonderful Franciscan brother. And Mag said to me, you know, everybody has this image of what final judgment looks like. I mean, you know, in uh, Christian circles, it's all, we come to the pearly gate, and there is St. Peter, and he's going to judge us, or God's going to judge us. And what's going to happen? And so Mags discussed the fact that what he perceived as final judgment is we're going to walk into this big courtroom, and there will be God on the seat. And he said, God's not going to ask you how many times you went to church or synagogue. God's not going to ask you how much money you gave to the church or synagogue. And God's not going to ask you about how many children you had or how wealthy you were. God's going to ask one question. And that question's going to be, how did you choose to love in your life? Mm. And we go back to that initial word. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. The key word is love. And in Deuteronomy, when the summation of the law comes, it's about those two commandments. And with Jesus, when asked what are the greatest of the laws, it's those two commandments. Mm -hmm. It's love. Have we accepted the love of God in our hearts, whether we do it through the traditions of Judaism or through Christianity? And have we shared that love and given it freely and abundantly to others around us? And that comes, of course, with being willing to accept others no matter how different they may be or how scary they may feel, and by forgiving those who hurt you. So my hope is that those who listen to this go out today and look for new and greater ways to offer the love of Christ or the love of God to somebody else, simply by noting God has loved you. I'll let you end us with prayer at this time. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share, to talk, to explore those things that are important to us and to understand that ultimately what we do to, with others, how we approach our life as we want to lead it, ultimately will lead us to the Word of God. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam We thank you, Lord our God, king of the world who has enriched our lives by bringing us to this very special moment of sharing the word of god with each other and with our community amen amen to that thank you for listening to another episode of conversations between a priest and a rabbi recorded live at saint peter's by the sea episcopal church in narragansett rhode island if you have any questions or comments please feel free to get in touch with us at stpetersbythesea.com.